Tough act to follow, the two doctors, DTS professors. I will not be preaching a 66 chapter sermon. Instead, I went the opposite route. I found one of the smallest books I could find. And that's where we're going to go. I'll let you think through or take some guesses which ones that may be as we uh, get going here. So, uh, not yet. That wasn't it. One of the, I was, I'll, I'll look that up for next, next time. All right. So, this sermon this morning is debt-free and set-free. That might throw some, get, get, get some wheels going on what could be coming up. But this weekend, of course, we think about freedom. We think about Fourth of July, Independence Day, and, and what we celebrate. This here, you can't read it. It's a nice little infographic that has random facts that are Fourth of July by the numbers. I won't read them to you. If you want to, I'm sure you can find them online. One interesting thing I noticed was uh, they voted for the independence on July 2nd, but they waited two more days to approve it. So I always think, well, even then, <laughs> even then, it took a little while longer to, once you had a good decision, we're still not sure, freedom, no freedom. Let's give it two more days, guys. So even then, Congress, had some problems. Uh, but so what do we celebrate? We celebrate our freedom. And in that process, there's fireworks, hot dogs, family gatherings, parades, more hot dogs, lots of hot dogs. And uh, th that's part of what we celebrate. And it's this idea of perhaps not just celebrating freedom, but this show of the American dream. Sometimes it's maybe a little bit of an illusion. This idea that we've arrived, or we have these great things, or we have this freedom, and we have all this luxury, so to speak. And I say that based on some other numbers, the bill. So this is the uh, estimates for this year. About $3.6 million just on flags and related paraphernalia and I'm one of them. I got some Captain America swim trunks that I've been wearing for Fourth of July. You know, got my got my flag T-shirt to go with it. Uh, our daughter's got her little flag outfit. So I, I, I'm one of them. I'm one of the folks who who spent into that 3.6 million dollars on just American flag things. Next, six million dollars in fireworks. 600 million, I'm sorry. Yes, you guys read better than I can. 600 million in fireworks. And that's a mixture of, I think three quarters of that is personal. So that's, that's just the everyday citizens buying fireworks to go on their own. The last quarter is, is like cities and towns and parades bought by organizations for organized firework displays. And last, two billion. Billion with a B, billion on cookouts. And that's, that's everything, that's, that's hot dogs, ketchup, mustard, relish, charcoal, lighter fluid, uh, all the other fixings and trimmings. Say, someone say broccoli? Okay, I was gonna say, I don't know about broccoli. I don't know, I, I don't know what, don't invite me to your party. <laughs> but, but this is the amount of money spent. And like I said, I think of it as this, this idea as, a, as an illusion, this American dream. We're showing all these things, but then there's another side of that in America. 
and we look at our American debt. This idea that the average household has about $15,000 in credit card debt, about 27, almost 30,000 in auto loans, 170, approximately, thousand in mortgages, and another 50,000 in student loans. And that's the average household. And to, I bring that up not to ruin your 4th of July, but just to think about this idea that it's, it's kind of hard to celebrate freedom when you're swimming in debt. Even our national budget, 19 trillion, as of supposedly based on a search this morning, we're at 19 trillion, 583 billion, 100, I don't even can't even do the math trillion. I can't do the math here, but it's 19 trillion dollars. I gotta. I, I'm not used to all those commas. Uh, but it's a lot of money, and that's where we are as a as an American economy. So how do we celebrate freedom when we're in this much debt? There's a lot of worry. There's also this idea, this what's in your wallet. I think it's Capital One came out with pretty cool. It's some nice commercials, basically people saying. We're going to help you out. Just give us your debt. But most of those cases are, are not people helping you out. There's probably some, some out there that do a good job and are helping people. But others are just trying to get more of your money. Saying, oh, sign up for our credit card or 0% interest, zero down for, for a little while. And then the interest rate goes up. Or all the spam mail that says, oh, are you, are you upside down in your mortgage? Guess what? We can save you based on this new magical bill that's been passed that no one else knows about. It's a secret. No one else knows. And we got, the, we got the bottom line on this, and we can help you out. So you get that in your email. You get that in your regular mail. You get that in your news feed. If you're social media folks, you'll see it in your Facebook pages and everywhere else. Whatever kind of debt you might have, there's somebody out there saying, we got the answer. And most of the time, it's not really the case. So there's this worry, this anxiety. It's really hard to celebrate freedom when we have debt. And the same thing applies to our spiritual life. There's this debt that we carry, whether it's from a sin we've done or a good that we chose not to do. They talk about sins of omission, sins of commission. We live with this debt. We live with this, this feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not useful. I don't have a place in God's economy. And it's hard to live with freedom when we carry debt. So unfortunately, I don't have a solution for your physical debt other than what most folks say, tighten belts and spend wisely. But even then, physically, the, the, the odds seem stacked against us. But spiritually, they're not. Spiritually, there is someone who takes away our debt. And that's what I want to talk about today, being debt-free and set-free. And the book I want to bring your attention to, like I said, one of the smaller ones, The Letter to Philemon. And forgive me if I say the name weird different times throughout my sermon. Haven't rehearsed it enough. Philemon is, is our letter. There's some tough names in this book, at least tough for me. It's the last letter written by Paul. It's also a personal letter. If you're looking for it, it's right before Hebrews. It, you, you, if, if you blink, you'll miss it. It's barely a page. It's the last letter, last in the list, last in the line. 
It's a personal letter that he wrote to his friend Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. This purpose of the letters slavery and, and the gospel message. There's so much, even though it's a small book, there's so much to cover that I can't cover today. Unfortunately, I won't get to cover a great deal on slavery, but there are a few things I do want to highlight. And what I do want to highlight is what it means to be Onesimus and what it looks like to live out the gospel as we look at this letter and think about being set free and debt free. So let's turn to Philemon. This is Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Ophia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. So, so far we've just covered an introduction and how Paul introduces himself as a prisoner. This is the only letter where he, he refers to himself in the introduction as a prisoner in Christ. It's one of his prison epistles. He, he refers to others as dearly loved. And it's from that Greek word agape, to be dearly loved. And, and this, this particular verse, verse 6, he talks about this, this kind of cause and effect relationship of growing closer to God. When he says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Kind of saying that as he gets closer to Christ, his participation in the faith increases. The closer we get to Christ, the better our relationship, the better we know who we are and who Christ is, the better we can participate in the faith, which is sharing the gospel or living out our faith. Then he goes on in verse 7. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right. I'm going to stop there. I kind of think, I read this section, and I almost feel like he's buttering him up. It feels like you give all these good compliments, like, man, you're awesome. I love you. You do great things for the kingdom. You do great things for people. Everybody loves you. You're an awesome guy. And he's kind of building them up. I almost feel like it's like a, a kid asking dad for something that dad might say no. So you kind of have to dress it up. But here it's the opposite. It's Paul who has authority. So it's almost, when you think about it a little deeper, it's almost like a dad kind of asking their kid to do something, which is hard to do. I mean, you can tell your kid to do something. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. I got a two-year-old, so most of the time they don't. Uh, but, but trying to appeal to someone, not command. So Paul has authority. He has the authority to say, this is what I want you to do. But he's not doing that. So picking up back at verse 8, it says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead. 
on the basis of love. So we're saying, based on our relationship with one another, I, I, I'm kind of asking you a favor. I'm appealing to you. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I fathered him while I was in chains. So, so he's, he's speaking to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And then we get into the story, we find out who Onesimus is. In verse 11, it says, Once he was useless to you, he's talking about Onesimus, but now he is useful to both you and to me. I am sending him back to you as part of myself. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. And here's the neat thing. Uh, what I wanted to focus on was this idea of what does it mean to be Onesimus. If you guys remember some of the, the previous sermons, I, th I think when I preached on Ruth, I talked a lot about names. Names mean a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Sometimes when you come across Greek names, we don't always find as much meaning as we do in the Hebrew names. But in this case, Onesimus means something. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be Onesimus? That word, the, the Greek word, comes from this root word that means useful. Someone who is useful. And it's interesting because it's a play on words. And it's, it's, uh, again, reminds me that only God could bring together people of certain names in a certain way for a certain story that it just, you can't help but not recognize that. That when Paul said this in verse 11, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. And his name means useful. If you look at the Greek, you kind of see that same word repeated several times. The Onesimus is in, is in that text. And when I think about that, I kind of wonder what's going on with Onesimus as a runaway slave, as someone who feels like, I got nothing, no home, no roof, left, left his master, no position, no job, no, no purpose, and he leaves his master, runs away, ends up in Rome, meets Paul, and is changed. He comes to Christ through his relationship with Paul and is changed forever. And I, I won't say that he was useless to begin with. The text does. But in a sense, I think that's still just a play on words and that God has a use for all of us. We are all useful to God. Perhaps we just don't know it until we know God. So what does it mean to be Onesimus. It means recognizing we are useful. Recognizing we have a place in God's economy. Recognizing that we are loved. And we, we see that a little more as the story or passage continues. So picking up in 14. Said, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. So here Paul already kind of has confidence that, that what he's asking for is going to be given. He trusts that his relationship with Philemon is strong enough 
that that this is this is going to happen. This good deed. He continues. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. Again, that dearly loved. That that's that love that's a again from the word agape. It's a superlative of the word agape that we, we translate as dearly loved. That Onesimus is a dearly loved brother, no longer a slave, no longer a nobody. Continuing that verse, it says, he is especially to me, so Paul is saying, he is especially a dearly loved brother to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way, charge that to my account. Like, who does that? Who says, charge that to my account? Does anyone like give out their credit card to random people and say, hey, go ahead and use this? Does anybody write a blank check, sign it, date it, say, here, I trust you to put the number on here that you like best? Take to the bank. Who does that? And here's Paul, a citizen of Rome, a person of authority, putting his reputation, sticking his neck out for someone who has no authority, no position. Someone who can't advocate for themselves or has a hard time in this society advocating for themselves, a world where Rome is what's in power. Being a Roman citizen is what matters. And I haven't seen it, I kind of want to. There's this movie called uh, The Man Who Knew Infinity. And I've seen the previews, I've seen the trailers, and what I love is there's a scene. And so the story of this movie is, uh, is a guy from India, it's set in about 1913. And he's somehow just a mathematician, he's a genius. And, and he, he sends some letters, some proofs of math to, to Cambridge. And, and the professors like, are just in shock and awe, like, how, how is this possible? This guy's brilliant. They fly, they invite him, they didn't fly him, but they get him down to, uh, to Cambridge. And there's a certain scene where, where a lot of these professors, these elite mathematicians of Cambridge are, are kind of arguing, saying, how can we believe that he's right? Or how do we know that he, he knows what he knows? He can't prove it. He can't show us the proof for his answer. He can just give us the right answer, but we, we want the proofs. We want to know that he knows this. How, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to simply take him on his word? And then, and then his mentor, a member of this elite group, says, no, you're to take him at mine. And that was powerful to me, just hearing that little bit, that someone of position and authority will put his name and his reputation on the line for someone who's basically a nobody, a no-name, an outsider, an outcast. And that's Onesimus. And that, that's us, believe it or not. We've been in that position, I'm sure, at some point in our life. But he's saying, whatever he owes you, charge that to my account. So that was the second thing I wanted to highlight. What does it look like to live out the gospel? Well, it looks like doing what Paul did saying, charge it 
to my account. And in this time in Rome, if a slave runs away, the punishment is death. So in reality, Paul is kind of saying, take my life if you're going to take a life. Who does that? Jesus Christ does that. Right? Jesus did that for all of us. Jesus is the one who died for our sins so we can have freedom. And Paul is simply imitating Jesus Christ. He says it in one of his other epistles, imitate me as I imitate, imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So who does that? Christ does that. Christians do that or we're called to do that. So what does it mean to be debt free? I'm sorry, what does it mean to look, live out the gospel? It means standing up for others who can't stand for, up for themselves. It means setting the example through forgiveness. Setting the example in your actions. So continuing in the text, pick up at verse 19. It says, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. And that only stands out to show that he's proving what he's done. I just mentioned this because I think it's interesting. I kind of wish I could see that text because you can see like a very neat, like a scribe who's very highly talented in writing and all of a sudden this big, weird, like think of like the Goliath crayons and the letters we had back in like third grade or whatever grade it is. We, when do we learn to write? But you guys, you guys get the picture. And that, that's, that's probably what Paul's writing looked like. Because even though he's an educated man, he's probably not a skilled writer in this time and day. So he mentions that. You can tell by looking at the letter. He says, I write this in my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self. Yes, brother. May I have joy from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Maybe that's just the idea that as Christians, when we see other Christians doing what Christ has called us to do, it's refreshing. When we see other Christians doing the opposite, it's painful. Verse 21. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. And so there he closes the passage. So reflecting or returning to those ideas, what does it mean to be Onesimus? It means knowing who you are in Christ, knowing that you are useful, knowing that you are dearly loved. And that makes a tremendous difference in your witness, in your behavior, in your actions, and just the confidence you walk through life with. So what does it look like to live out the gospel? Standing up for others and setting the example. Advocating for those who cannot advocate for themselves. So here's a card. I'm going to ask um, Jim 
to come forward is going to pass out some cards. And this is something I put together as an attempt for, say, I guess, creativity, if you will. Something you can put in your wallet. One of the things we talked about was the uh, maybe Capital One says, what's in your wallet? And this is just a card, and the name at the bottom, Onesimus Agapetas, or Agapetas. So useful and dearly loved. So what's in your wallet? Hopefully, just carry this as a reminder. That's my challenge or my, my thought for you, is carry this card as a reminder that you're debt-free and set-free. To carry this card as a reminder that you are useful and loved. And consider, when you read it, how you can forgive others and set others free. Thank you. You just uh, join me for a quick word of prayer and while the worship team comes forward. Father God, we thank you for your blessings on all of us, Lord. We thank you for your gift of grace, your gift of life, your gift of freedom. Lord, we thank you even for the struggles we have in life that through you, through knowing you, make us stronger. We pray, Lord, that you continue to make us strong, strong enough to stand up for others, strong enough to walk as you've called us to walk, strong enough to enjoy the freedom that you've given us. Lord, we thank you and we ask your blessings on this congregation, on our nation, and on your kingdom. Amen.